Well, kia ora and welcome uh, to uh, another podcast from the Kaka. I'm Bernard Hickey. Um, this time we, we're going to talk with Catherine Dyer, our um, climate and environment correspondent for the Kaka, about uh, the latest news on the climate front, uh, particularly in the last couple of weeks of the year uh, from the government and from the Climate Commission. Can you tell us firstly um, uh, what we've been seeing from the government, uh, the Transport Minister, Simeon Brown in particular, around emissions um, and and how the government is approaching the areas of public transport and car use? Kia ora koutou, everybody. So, Catherine, it's been a busy couple of weeks um, with this new government um, firing up its 100-day plan. What have we seen from, for example, Simeon Brown, the Transport Minister, around climate, public transport, car, cars and other emissions? Yeah, it's been a, quite a dis- disappointing time from that perspective. Um, Simeon Brown has been quietly instructing um, councils to drop their projects that were focused on um, mode shift, so the things that were about increasing walk- walking and cycling infrastructure, and to focus more on on cars and roads. Um, so that's you know, it's a shame to see some of those um, projects being arbitrarily cancelled like that, especially when there is um, so much good evidence for all of the advantages from them, not not least to, towards people's health, like the public health of that decision-making. That's right. The irony here is that um, the new government is choosing to focus its spending on roads, often quite large ones, uh, that have business cases, so cost-benefit analysis done, showing relatively low returns. So for every dollar being spent that you might get a dollar 20 back whereas when you look at the business cases uh, for example moving people out of cars uh, onto bikes uh, onto walking the um, uh, cost benefit ratios are much uh, higher particularly um, because not only are you not producing extra emissions but in many cases you're making um, a healthier uh, city with few fewer people um, being injured in car crashes or or pedestrian versus car crashes, and particularly if people are walking and cycling, better health outcomes for for people and therefore lower public health costs. Yeah, and even public transport as well has has much better cost benefit scenarios. I mean, they're, they're just not even comparable to what you you get from building roads, which does the opposite kind of thing. Yeah, well, the the Giddy Fund was the government investment in decarbon. Decarbonising industry, and that fund, um, I think there was some two billion dollars worth um, annually, is being um, shifted towards. Um, well, it's been cancelled, and it's going to go into tax cuts. Um, so that that's completely disappeared. Um, and and all of these, when you look at the evidence basis for what you get back by making these investments, they 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 make society wealthier. So in the long run, these these decisions make all of society poorer. Um, but by channeling channeling it back into tax cuts, a certain percentage of the population will be made individually better better off, but at, at the expense of you know total society. Yeah, there's there's clearly a a gap opening up and getting much wider between 
what what the government plans to do and what we actually need to do in order to meet those targets. And the Climate Change Commission has specifically pointed out that the government doesn't have enough policies um, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in order to meet those targets. Um, the Climate Change Commission has, you know, in their report, um, in their advice to the government on the second emissions reduction budget, um, runs to 16 chapters, 350-odd pages of information, and there's just a whole plethora of different um, policies that they suggest that the government could um, use uh, as tools to reduce emissions. Um, and in the transport area, that includes um, investing in mode shift to active transport, um, to walking and cycling, um, and also to public transport. And in this latest um, edition of their advice, they're, they're also pointing at um, the need for investment in the rail system across New Zealand, both passenger um, and marine and rail investment for freight. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole lot of advice in there that um, is not currently what is, is in policy. Um, and, in fact, some of that advice uh, um, was in policy before and has now been cancelled. So, you know, there's, there's a gap. Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, the cost blowout was associated with all of the changes and improvements that need to be made on the docks to allow that to happen um, and that that wasn't properly included or costed previously and for the whole project I, I mean I think everybody would be happy if you could find a way to do all of that more cheaply and more efficiently um, that would be fine but my concern is that the cheaper version will be one where you don't have that rail road kind of transfer um, thing and so you end up constraining um, your future infrastructure choices because you can no longer transport by rail um, the length of the country, you know. Um, and if that's the case, then we will have invested in infrastructure that will last for the next probably 30, 30 years or more um, that constrains development of, of the rail network in New Zealand. And, and I think that would be um, very disappointing. And it would also, that decision would be locked in for a long time to come. So the government seems to be doing a whole bunch of things that are not in line with the Climate Commission's advice in terms of achieving its emissions reductions target. And I'm trying to get my head around, how can they continue to do this? Where is the discipline to stop them, if 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 you like? How can they, they get away with what appears to be a breach of the law? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because, you know, at this point we don't necessarily have enough information or things haven't happened yet. So there's no, it's very hard to take them to task. They're saying that they're, the policies that they intend to put in place around um, emissions pricing and doubling renewable electricity, that those will achieve, you know, they're promising that those will achieve the emissions reductions that we need. Um, we can see the evidence of suggesting that that's very unlikely. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out, you know, in the future. Because there are some, there's some various disciplines that can be applied. There's been attempts by uh, lawyers for climate action to take various bodies, including the Auckland Council and the government to court to say that it's breaching the law. 
The other options, of course, is that we have signed trade agreements, in particular the European Union Free Trade Agreement, in which we have committed ourselves in black letter to achieving our Paris agreements. And you'd think that the government, who's pretty keen on exporting dairy and meat and all sorts of other agricultural products to Europe, would uh, be loath to have that uh, agreement cancelled under them uh, because of failing to meet our climate agreement. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, um, when the uh, the day of reckon, <laughs> reckoning arrives and what that might look like. Yeah, I, I think in terms of the, you know, the emissions reduction budget, they're not due to put out their proposal for how to do it, the government's end of it, until the end of 2024, I think. So probably from... Um, a legal challenge perspective. It's not until after that that anybody's going to have a chance to kind of really challenge it. Um, and in terms of, of farming emissions, my guess is that what they're hoping is that the international market will put enough pressure on farmers um, separately that they will reduce their emissions anyway and the government won't have to do anything to put any pressure on them. That pressure will come from somewhere else. Um, I think that's the thing that's most likely to reduce um, agricultural emissions in New Zealand is, is actually that the, the supply chain will put the pressure on farmers to do it anyway, and we can see that starting to happen. Um, yeah, so maybe they're hoping that we'll just, yeah, it will happen without them. Yeah, it's interesting to see Fonterra um, quite a far away ahead of its farmers, or at least the Federated Farmers Dairy Division in um, looking to reduce emissions, coming up with a target for scope three emissions reduction and and being um, much more in favour of Hewok Ekanoa in the end than, uh, for example, the farmer uh, lobby groups. So that will be interesting to see. Catherine, thank you so much for um, taking us through these issues and uh, through into 2024 we'll be... Uh, diving deep into these issues around climate change and the environment and the political economy of all of that in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, uh, Kakitao no, and have a, have a great have a great summer.